Today on Fast Five, we're joined by Mark Glassmeyer, founder and president of Flight Outfitters. He explains how his grandfather's experience in World War II inspired him to be a pilot, why every flight should be an adventure, and why community is so important for general aviation's future. Fast Five starts right now. Welcome, pilots. I'm John Zimmerman of Sporties, and today I'm really excited to have Mark Glassmeyer with us in the studio. He's the founder of Flight Outfitters, a name you may recognize from their popular line of bags, flashlights, and t-shirts. But he's also part of a multi-generational family of pilots with some interesting stories that hopefully we'll hear about shortly. Mark, welcome to Fast Five. Good to be here, John. So your grandfather flew B-24s in World War II, and you grew up, I'm sure, hearing at least some of those stories. Do you think that's why you eventually became a pilot? Uh, certainly, his his, his influence uh, is a big part of it, and and part of his influence is also Oshkosh because the my first real exposure to aviation. I've heard the stories growing up. My first exposure to aviation was I, I must have been probably about six or seven years old, and they. His B twenty four, the whole the whole crew was alive, so they were having a reunion in Oshkosh during the air show, and we stayed in Green Bay in a in a in a Holiday Inn, I think it was, and all the guys were there telling their war stories, and and one particular story was they they won the Distinguished Flying Cross for peeling off of a out of formation and took out a Japanese Radio Shack on a bombing run, and then rejoined the formation. And I, as a seven or six or seven year old, thought that they had literally blown up a Radio Shack, like a store where people bought stuff. <laughs> so and I, and I expressed my concerns to the entire flight crew. I'm like, guys, why would you do that? What about all the people shopping? And they got a, a you know, of course, a big chuckle out of it. Um, and then we went to Oshkosh, and I was there to see, you know, I'm, I'm part of the Top Gun generation of pilots, I guess. You know, I was inspired by that. So I wanted to see F-14 Tomcats tearing up the skies and. I remember at first being disappointed that there I did I don't maybe there was one Tomcat there that year or whatever. But then I saw all these little planes and I saw people camping there. I mean it looks the same today as it did back then. And I was like, wait, you know, what is this? And 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 it, is it a possibility that I can fly? And I remember driving back and through Chicago where they have those restaurants, you could get a bug you could get a bug on a windshield and if you move your head, it's like you're moving a gun sight. So I, I shot cars all the way home, acting like I was a fighter pilot from <laughs> Wisconsin all the way down to Cincinnati, uh, moving bug things around like it's my gun sight. So that, that is really grandpa and being in Oshkosh, that, that's what lit the fire. Yeah, Oshkosh, the seed of so many aviation careers. Maybe not quite as memorable as that, but that's great. And I know you recently, you ran across his logbooks from the war, right? I mean, tell us about that, some of the stories you uncovered there. Yeah, that was, it was kind of a by chance. So my, my grandmother's still alive. And, you know, we got to that point where, um, you know, she needed some assistance. So we, we, we put her into some assisted living. And part of that process was going through everything in the house. And lo and behold, we come across this, this logbook where Grandpa had written down everything from his training missions, and, you know, going from Texas to Wichita to Chicago and the elevation they were at and what they were doing. And it was, it was in chicken scratch type handwriting. And, and, my, and I think my family knew to bring it to me. And thank goodness they did. So it, it got to me and I, I took it and had it transcribed to you know, someone that could read his handwriting. But they, they wrote it just as he had written it. And now we're just now beginning to go through it all. And it's just, it's amazing type stuff to, to hear. And it's funny to see how, how the twists on kind of the, the family generational stories, when you get the truth back, you know, it, it's changed like the telephone game, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's changed just a little, little bit. And one of the best examples of that is we always thought that grandpa had flown under the Golden Gate Bridge on his way to Hawaii when he was deploying. Like, we may never come back from this. Who cares? Let's go underneath the bridge. And 
I was reading there one of the entries the other night, actually, and it says, flew over Golden Gate Bridge, maybe my last time to see America for a while. I'm like, well, I guess that was a little embellished story. But, you know, it, it, but what is, what is interesting as a pilot is they went all, so all the way from San Francisco to Hawaii at 7,500 feet, you know, with no, no GPS, none of this stuff, you know, and it, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, it's a real window into history, I think, uh, when you learn about how they flew and take yeah. for granted some of the things we have today that they had no concept of. And they <laughs> flew all over the world with people shooting at them. Yeah, so. it was amazing. So fast forward a little bit. That was the spark maybe that got you interested. But then as a as a teenager, you took some lessons. But then I think in a f- story that will be familiar to so many pilots listening to this, you had a 25-year break, right? You raised a family. You started a business. And then you got back into it and finally checked the box and got current, got your license. What was the hardest part of coming back and breaking that rusty pilot cycle? I think it's 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 it, the biggest part is is kind of coming to grips with the selfishness of it all, honestly. And that is, you know, with the point in life where I came back into flying. I now have four kids, and I'm trying to, you know, I got this little startup company called Flight Outfitters that I'm trying to do, and I'm, you know, assistant coaching, everything coming with the dad. And so, you know, I guess I kind of look to other maybe relationships where I'm like, well, if that guy can go out and play golf for five hours, you think I could carve out two hours at lunch to get my pilot's <laughs> license? So I had to, like, you know, I kind of negotiated with my own, you know, conscience about, what it's you know, it's expensive, it takes time. And and once I I was around it took being around aviation to find those mentors to say you know we can do it this way or what about you try that you know and and once i had a roadmap that was given to me from friends it felt a little less selfish and it was like you know we can really do this and part of it was once i knew i had a community of pilots around me i knew i wasn't going to get a license that i'm never going to use you know i'm also a certified scuba diver i haven't been scuba diving since my honeymoon right because there's no one to scuba dive with but i you know i've got my pilot's license and i've continued to fly because i have friends that fly i don't don't think if i had that that community of pilots that it it would be just like my scuba certification so what's your advice to a rusty pilot is it find that community find a mentor what what what's the secret to getting current and staying there yeah it's 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 putting yourself out there socially because we we tend to like you know you know, I look at my flying magazines. You, you, you tend to dream. You dream by yourself. It's your dreams and your aspirations. But your dreams kind of come true when you bring other people into the dreams. And and you know, telling stories and hey, have you ever flown here? Kind of push me a little bit. Like, um, you know, if it's not you know clear, unlimited visibility, you can still go up. It's still VFR. You know, <laughs> like to kind of help you over these hurdle type situations. So that is the secret: is have friends that fly. One of the most interesting parts for me is uh, as you and I got to know each other working together, we discovered that we were at the same flight school at the same time when we were both teenagers in high school. But we learned that maybe we had slightly different experiences. So yeah. tell listeners uh, kind of the detective story there. Yeah, that was an interesting like aha moment between the two of us. We were we were both at the A-frame at Lunkin Airport as kids. And but we were both there for entirely different reasons. You know, you you were there. We found out to actually learn how to fly, and you did a heck of a job doing that. I, I was there for, and, and and the truth is, I was there because I had a learning disability, and I was there because I had a self confidence problem. Um, you know, I, I it's this is post Oshkosh with Grandpa, so I've, I've expressed to my parents how cool it was. And you know, there one example is during you know in spelling bees back in the day when you had to stand up and they spell a word and if you spelled the word wrong you'd sit down 
And my old trick was they would say, okay, Mark, and I would misspell my own name on purpose so I wouldn't be embarrassed about the actual word that was about ready to come up. So I would you know, misspell my name, make it a big joke, everyone laugh, and I'd sit down, I got out of jail free. Well, my parents recognized that, you know, they'd get some self-confidence with this, you know, and it's a smart kid, just learns differently. So we're, we're going to have him take flying lessons, you know, and so me and my brother, and they, they're also very fair. So I have three brothers. We all three took flying lessons. So we'd take off in these skippers. I think you were flying the, the what they have down there, a 172? Yeah, or? 172. Yeah, so you'd walk out to your 172 with your instructor and a lesson plan. We'd walk out to three skippers, take off in formation out of Lunkin, and just basically play dogfight for an hour, land, go back to school and tell everyone we were getting our pilot's license. And it was that, but it was that confidence. It worked. You know, it, it made me different. I was different because I was a pilot. So I actually have loved being a pilot even when I wasn't a, really a pilot. You know, being able to say that, it was a badge of honor for me. And I think a lot of that's carry through to today so yeah so it's fascinating now that things are coming full circle you have a teenage son who is taking flight training and so i don't want to be the uh, armchair psychiatrist here but I'm, I'm fascinated in kind of how that goes now that the shoes on the other foot you're the parent you have the teenage son yeah uh, i assume that he's not going out in the skipper and and flying dog fights but what's that like to be now the parent of an aspiring pilot it, it's for me, it's, it's again, it's it's very selfish because I see my we're talking about my son, Ryan. We have four kids, by the way. I've got, I've got as we sit here today, I've got a freshman in college, a senior in high school, um, a sophomore in high school and a freshman daughter. So three boys and a girl. And Ryan, the sophomore, is the one that wants wants to fly. He wants to solo before he gets his driver's license. So he's going to actually he's taking his flight training at Sporty's Pilot Shop right here at Sporty's Academy. And. So, but down from, if people haven't been to Sporties, below Sporties is the DMV in, in Batavia. So he literally wants to try to solo and then drive down the hill and get his driver's license, which, which is great. Um, unlike me, he's been, he's, he's grown up in aviation. My, my aviation friends have influenced him. So we kind of share mentors, but he's a sophomore now in high school. And, and having just sent one off to college, you, you see what that looks like. I want him to be a pilot so I can fly with him for the rest of my life. You know, I want him to be, I'll probably be right seat, he'll be left seat, but that's going to be something we'll share forever and ever. I've seen I've seen the father-son relationships in, in, in some of my mentors and how that's like the thing they talk about. And it's like, so what are we going to talk about when high school football is over? And what are we going to talk about when you're no longer into this kiddie stuff? We're going to talk about aviation for the rest of our lives. And we're going to fly together and we're going to share some great moments together. And that's what excites me the most about it. Yeah, there's such a powerful intergenerational connection with aviation. I think that's something that people just, even if they don't think about it, they get if they hang around aviation. It really can be a connection. And guess who's one of the most interested people in that logbook we just found? Ryan Glassmeyer. Yeah. You know, he was reading through it, and he actually was like 7,500 7, feet. You know, like he's getting that too, which is kind of neat. You know, the other kids are like, "Oh my gosh, that sounds dangerous," but you know, he's calling out some of the aviation aspects of what we're reading, which is fun. So, what would you tell a, another parent who has a, a teenage, you know, son or daughter who's interested in flying? I mean, obviously, you're preaching the converted here in a right, certain right. sense, but practically, what's the any tips for kind of taking that first step or being supportive without being a micromanager? What's that's what's that look like? There's a, uh, you know, I'm also I'm also on the side of like a, a, a football coach, so I like watching these speeches. And there's an Urban Meyer speech out there um, from when he was coaching Ohio State, and I, I can't quote it verbatim, but it basically says it's so easy to be average, you know. And that's kind of my advice to to parents is. You know, think of the amount of time you're putting in going to soccer games on Sundays and think of the expense for the hotels and think of think of all these the things associated with these youth sports and the craziness of youth sports. You add all that up, all that time, and aviation 
can look like a bargain. And by the way, there's not a million other kids playing soccer on Sundays. And it, it does, it, it gives this sense of confidence. And I'm kind of preaching from my parents, you know, parenting handbook. It doesn't matter what you have confidence in, just as long as you have confidence in something. Aviation is a pretty big one. You know, you can walk around and you can put your shoulders back pretty high if you're if you're a 15 year old flying an airplane by yourself. Um, that's hard to, to duplicate on a soccer field. Or, or I'm not saying those things are wrong, but I'm saying think about it in terms of what it, the leg up it gives your your child. They're learning. They have to do math. They have to learn weather. They have to learn. It, it's it's an educational experience with technical skills, and it, it makes them very unique very early on. And it's something you can do when you're older and your knee hurts or you're, uh, you yeah. can't, can't play yeah. pickup basketball anymore. That's uh, one of my football lines. I'm like, there's no rec league football. Once you take the pads off, it's over, you know? Yeah. So that, that's what it is. All right, Mark, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Shop the latest Flight Outfitters products at sporties.com and upgrade your pilot gear today. You'll find the complete line of flight bags, knee boards, jackets, and accessories. From the lift flight bag to the bush pilot jacket, it's all here. Every product is designed by pilots and loaded with distinctive Flight Outfitters features. Visit sporties.com slash Flight Outfitters. Now, back to Fast Five. So, Mark, you started Flight Outfitters as a part of Getting Current Again after that 25-year break. And your tagline for Flight Outfitters is Pilot Year and Adventure, which I think is an interesting uh, pretty good tagline, but I wonder what's behind that. Tell me what what that means, or at least what you hope it means for pilots. It, it means it means a couple different things, honestly, and it, I, and and I want it to mean a couple of things. It means something to me personally, which might it might not necessarily mean to our customers, but that that's what makes me go to work, and I'll explain that in a minute. But what what a, what it, what I want it to mean to Flight Outfitters Nation and our customers is that. Again, that going back to the Urban Meyer line, it's so easy to be average. It's it's easy. You can go get a Delta flight and go pick yourself up an Orvis fly fishing trip, and they'll shuttle you there and they'll do everything. Now, keep in mind, aviation is still part of all these adventure stories. There's just somebody else flying the airplane, and and so as as the pilot brand, we we not only do the adventure. But we also fly the airplane that gets us to the adventure. So that's that's what it is at its most basic level. The, the next level, I would say, is that you're in control of your own adventure. It's like taking control of your own life. Like, if you want to go have this experience, do it. Just like when I had to get my pilot's license. Yeah, you're going to have to carve out some time. You're going to make some investment. But it's enriched my life so much because I took that adventure and I took control of it and I piloted it myself. On the, on the most personal level, what it means to me is I'm 46 years old and I still play dress up, right? And and and, and, and I, I, the pilot your own adventure is I finally, you know, I was that kid with a learning disability that w- went to Oshkosh and I got my pilot's license. Well, I've achieved this and, and gosh darn it, I get to wear the uniform now because I'm a pilot. And, you know, I've wanted to wear that stuff. So Flight Outfitters, it, it kind of at its basic level, is my, when, when I got my pilot's license, I'm like, great, I'm a pilot. What do I get to wear now? Like, what's the cool stuff? What's the brand that represents pilots? And I, and I didn't really find the brand that fit how I envisioned aviation. So it's kind of the old can't find it, make it. And now that we make it, I, I, the, the products we make in the spirit of that, I, I believe, are kind of in line with my view of, of what it means to be a pilot, that we're special, you know, and, and I'm not going to, I don't think we need to apologize for that. There's, there's very few of us and it's not an easy thing to do. You can't just take an online course for a, an hour and you're a pilot. You got to make real time investments. And, and I'm, and I'm proud of that, but I'm also, I don't want to be in your face, run around. I'm a pilot. I'm a pilot. You know, 
I love the joke. If you've ever boarded a commercial flight with a pilot, I'm sure you've done this. Like everyone jokes about, hey, if anything goes wrong, you know, I'm back here in seat, you know, 5B or whatever, you know, like it's a joke that we're a pilot. But in some ways, it's you've done something so great that you want other people to know about it, but you just don't want to be a loudspeaker. And and I feel like Flight Outfitters is that is it's not the loudspeaker. It's just a subtle, you know, rhythmic, hey pilot that makes sense it's just Mm -hmm. it's a subtle way to put out there yeah i'm a pilot and people might ask you about it and and you get to have great conversations about flying you know and how about beyond aviation i mean general aviation in particular can be very insular and sort of self-referential but do you think there's a sort of pilot your own adventure mindset that could maybe introduce some of aviation outside to the broader world sure i see i see it you know I see it every day in the mall. You know, I, I walk around. We have a local mall here, and you walk through the mall, and you'll see your your big outdoor brands, right? You see your Patagonias, your North Faces, you, you name it. And you know, you look at the high school kid wearing it, and you say, "Dude didn't just go up Everest." You know what I mean? <laughs> I appreciate that he's associated with that adventurous tribe and whatnot. The adventure of flying that it's dangerous. I mean, you can die doing it, and and so I think that there is. The, the, the crossover for aspirational living of what aviation, the adventures it can bring to you, just like the adventures that climbing a mountain can do for you. So I, I do think there's appeal. And especially, I don't know how many years ago it, it was, maybe four or five, but I was at Oshkosh and I saw a t-shirt that said drone pilots are pilots too. Hmm. Now, I don't want to get into this big debate, <laughs> yeah. but the fact that it's even out there and, and it, you, you, you see a whole new generation of pilots that are attracted to aviation through the drone the drone world and what they can do. And there's careers around drones. So I think aviation has never been at a better point with as far as the broad reach that it has. And I'm hoping that all these people that identify with some element of aviation in their life in some capacity, whether it be a drone, a 172, or a citation, um, that they can all come together and be part of this aviation tribe. And I just hope that the, the markings of our tribe in some way, or not all the times, but are the Flight Outfitters badge and brand. So as talking about a tribe, one tribe I have been around with you before is a place down in Tennessee. You spent a lot of time down at Norris Lake in the hills of eastern Tennessee. And I had no idea this place really existed, but uh, there's a little private airport on the side of a hill with a really thriving airport community. People living in the hangars there with little hangar apartments, and they have events and everything, which really struck me as kind of a general aviation at its best. Do you think that parts of that can be a kind of a model for general aviation? Or at least, I guess, tell me about what you think that community aspect means for, for a typical GA pilot. Yeah, so the, the, the airport designator for it is TN44, and it's Deerfield Resort in, in Tennessee, just about an hour north of Knoxville if you're driving a car. Um, it's on a lake, Norris Lake. It's the very first TVA lake. But the, the TN44 is it's a community inside of a community. So in there you'll find, you know, like you said, the hangars with people living in the back of them. And the people living in the back of their hangar also have a really nice lake house, just a golf <laughs> car ride down the hill, but prefer to be up there on that hill and, and watching airplanes come in. I, I, I love going up there just, you know, to get away from the lake. And I just you go up and watch airplanes and the amount of young eagles flights that go out of there that you wouldn't even know about because inevitably you'll get a little kid that's on vacation and they find their way up to the airport and one of a lot of retired airline pilots up there um you know a lot of just everyone is, is a pilot that lives in, in the hangar and they'll say hey kid you want to go for a ride if the parents are willing to let them do it they'll take them up in a cub we have a super cub there or 172 and cruise around the lake and bring them up so it's just like it's so neat that you wouldn't know what's going on it's just like the secret little hub of aviation and then we have uh, chapter 17 EAA does some fly-ins at the airport 
And it's just a really neat airport to land at. I mean, let's not get over that. It's one way in, one way out on top of a mountain. It's only 50 feet wide. There's deer everywhere. Um, the very first time I ever went in there, luckily I had an instructor with me, but my son had a baseball game. And this was the time I get to prove to the family how good this having a pilot's license is. You guys go to the lake. Andrew and I will be down later on, you know. Well, I'm and I'm I'd gone down with a with a friend and he helped me shoot approaches because it's a tricky approach. So I, I had I was feeling confident, feeling good. Go back up. The it's the mission day and we get all the way to TN44 from Cincinnati. And I'm on final and I see a line on the runway. And I'm like, so this isn't this wasn't here before when we were down here practicing. <laughs> like, what is this? I'm like, is the runway closed? And I get closer and I get closer. And it's eight women having their Sunday morning walk up the runway with their backs to me and I'm, I'm on final I'm like I'm either going bowling or I got to go around you know and and I'm already nervous about this 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 landing because it's uphill one way and one way out like I've already said so we go around and I come in and you know one of the old salty pilots old American Airlines pilot he's out there yelling at these women and it's a show but you know I certainly made my first landing at Deerfield memorable that's for sure so all right, Mark, at the end of each one of these episodes, we like to do a rapid-fire series of questions. We call this Ready to Copy. So uh-huh. I'll throw out some topics. You give me your quick answer. Okay. You ready to copy? <laughs> yes. We're going to start with a tough one. What is a better movie? You mentioned this. You're a child of kind of the 80s generation. Iron Eagle or Top Gun? Oh, my gosh. I love them both. I got to go Top Gun. You got to go with Top Gun, you know? You, you, you can't go against Top Gun. But I know Iron Eagle is a kind of a touchy subject but man did i like that tape recorder i mean it was so cool and i love dirt bikes when he's racing the dirt bike that's classic you know I, that's just the best so uh, i'm a fan of both i might be a closet iron eagle guy or but i don't know we'll see <laughs> so top gun 2 coming out one of these days yeah. eventually theoretically you think that will give aviation a boost to some extent like it did in the 80s gosh i hope so you know i and i look at ryan flying like i I hope Ryan has his own Top Gun movie. I hope he's 46 years old, and I hope that movie's good enough that they're quoting it on guard. You know, mm-hmm. like that because inevitably, whenever we do a breakfast run, the quotes come out because I was inverted. You know, give it, and it's just great. And it, it, it's actually it's like our own generational language that we can say it, and and you know, no one else like you get it because you you're in that generation. So I hope so. I know you've done a little bit of flying on skis. On snow. You, yeah. you got your tailwheel radio a while back and, and then did some ski flying, something I have never done. So sell me, should ski flying be on every pilot's bucket list? Yeah, it it definitely should. I We might have done it a little untraditional way <laughs> at Waynesville Airport with, with Emerson. He's a great pilot. I mean, original barnstorming family, just an amazing, amazing pilot. But the first aircraft, and I, I, had, I maybe had a few more pounds at the time when it snowed last time, I guess, but... The first Cub we tried just wouldn't take off. So he's like, let's get in the one with it. It barely has gas in it, so we can get up in that one. So we took that one up, and then when we landed, we got stuck, and Emerson got out and had to push us. So it was a memorable experience. It was something that I I um, am so glad I got to do, and I would highly recommend it for everyone. I know you've done some flying in Alaska, too, but what is the best flying adventure you've ever been on? Is it Alaska, or is it something closer to home? There's two of them. Uh, one of them is definitely Alaska. Um and then one was like a real simple flight back down to TN44, but it was with a buddy uh, in a helicopter. And it's one of these, you, you, you do a little bit different stuff in a helicopter than you do in an airplane. So it was fun for me to experience that. You know, I talked about earlier, I believe, about if it's not clear, it's not VFR. Well, you know, it's VFR. So I got to see the very, very extreme VFR, let's say, you know, the, the closest you can get to VFR without it being IMC. 
And with the helicopter, we can dodge around. And if it got bad, you can just sit down in a farmer's field. But I think we probably went almost, it felt like we went on all the way to Memphis to get to Knoxville from Cincinnati, just popping in and out. And we get a club car and just kind of, we had nowhere to be and all day to get there. It was just, it was just a great day seeing all the different towns in Kentucky. The other one would be with Chris Palmer. And my wife was actually there in Alaska and we were, we're coming down the Homer spit. We had a bumpy flight. We were, we were really doing some real Alaska flying, right? Like, and we pull up the ATIS at Homer airport and it's, I, I misquote it, but I want to say it was like 25 gusting to 29 direct crosswind at Homer Airport. And um, I did remember that the demonstrated crosswind ability of a 172 is a 15 knot direct crosswind. So I'm freaking out. You know, and I got my wife in the back. We're about to orphan all these kids. And I talked to Chris Palmer like, what are we going to do? I mean, we're at options. You know, there's the ocean and there's the Homer spit. He's like, I don't worry about it. When we get down there. There's got to be a road or a taxiway aiming into the runway. We, we'll get it down. It's just a whole different. I'm like, your airplane, you know, take it. So, um, but he actually, I don't know if it calmed down, but Chris was great. He got that thing in and just greased it, you know. But it, it was that getting out of your comfort zone and, of course, the scenery and the wind. And I just, I just felt like I was a real bush pot at that moment in time. So coming back to Oshkosh, you've mentioned yeah. Oshkosh, how important that is. Uh, and I know this past year, Fly Outfitters, you had a big uh, contest with EAA, you had a camper up there and everything. Uh, what is, after all the years of seeing Oshkosh as a kid, as a pilot, as an exhibitor, you know, a partner of EAA, all the different roles, what is your favorite part of Oshkosh? Definitely the people. And I, I'm probably not alone in saying that. It's a big family reunion. And the more I've been a part of it um, – the more the bigger that family gets and, and it's so fun to see old friends that you might even only see once a year and even correspond with once a year but when you're there it's like you never left and mm -hmm. and and that's that's one of my favorite things about being a partner or a pilot it's such an interesting dynamic it i would i would equate it somewhat to like a family dynamic where do you feel like your parents are always bragging on your brothers, but not you. But when you're not around, they're bragging on you. And it's so, it's kind of like that. It's like, we're all telling these flying stories. And it's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I've had much crazier adventures than you, John. But when you're not around, I'm like, oh my gosh, John Zimmerman, he flies a Pilatus, <laughs> an R44. I mean, a Satabi. Like, how's he, like, you're bragging on your friends. It's almost like your friends are your heroes, but your, 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 your friends are your heroes, but you're also, um, on the same level like we're both pilots we're both this but i look up to stuff that you may do and you know i may look like like i was just saying with chris palmer how can he get that plane down so he, he it's such an interesting dynamic when you're when your friends and your extended aviation family are also your heroes and it's just i think it's unique to aviation yeah i agree 100 percent. there's it's hard to capture that for a non-pilot who's never been to oshkosh it sounds like a cliche but it is a big family reunion before it's a trade show or an air show or any of these other things so uh, we always like to do a couple questions outside aviation. So I'm, you played quarterback in college, football player. What lesson, give me a lesson from playing football, being a quarterback that applies to aviation? The, the best thing about football is that it's not about the game of football. It's about all the different life lessons that football teaches. The game was actually created in the Ivy League for the to be the moral equivalent of war is what it is after the Civil War they there was this thing like the guys were getting too soft and something so the Ivy League schools needed something to toughen up men and make them into men and I, I I think that still carries true and that's what I've gotten from football like literally it's a sport where you have to pick yourself up off the ground after every single play if you're playing it right well I guess it was quarterback I probably shouldn't be on my back but <laughs> you get what I'm saying like and it, it's that 
you know, I've had hardships that go on in my life and I've had struggles and we've had times when we didn't know how we were going to make payroll at the end of the month. And it's that lesson of just never give up. You know, I, I think this, the Navy SEALs, I know they have a, a, one of their phrases is die first, then quit. And I think that's my biggest lesson for football is if you just keep getting up there, putting the pads on, going to practice, eventually it'll work. Technical question. Yeah. Is the spread offense too popular in high school these days? Do we need to get back to a little bit so of So funny. I was just had this conversation. I said, you know, like everyone's running the spread now, and all these defenses are a 3-3 stacked because of the spread. I'm like, I think the pro-I might be the most revolutionary <laughs> offense today. You know, if you go back to me, we might be seeing the triple option, you yeah. know, before you know it. it be like, where'd they come up with this revolutionary stuff? And, you know, be like Luke Rodney or whatever. But. So bring the, bring the wing tee back, you said. <laughs> I, I, I think definitely the pro-I against these defenses that are out to stop the spread. So. You've mentioned a couple times here today, and I think you've been pretty open about it, about managing learning disability as a kid and how flying was a part of uh, overcoming that. Do you think that has broader lessons for, you know, overcoming, especially as a kid? For me, you know, I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, and I'm not a doctor, but my take on this for a learning disability is it's a a visual thing because, you know, I have a little dyslexia. So I can watch a video with Rob Ryder's voice showing me like when the moment to flare and everything. And I can read about the, the math on the speed maintenance. And stuff. But it's, it's the, I think the best thing about aviation is the connection between the physical, the visual, and then the educational part of it. So you, you, you read about, okay, it's, you know, 85, 65 or 85, 75, 65 is your on 172. And then, but to get to actually put that into a feeling and a visual, just so helpful for, for me. I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but part of the disconnection is, is, you know, I'm a visual learner. I don't learn by reading. In aviation, the both have to come together. So it's that, it's that, it's those two elements coming together, I think, that helped me the best with my learning disability. Our last question, always yep. the same on Fast Five. You have one final flight, and we want to know what are you flying and where are you going? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um. I would probably – that is a great question. It's hard to beat Alaska. I mean, once that's in your blood flying up there, when no matter where you take off. So it would probably be just any flight in Alaska, and I'd probably be flying the 180 with big fat tires on it. You know, if you're going to go and I'd be decked out and all flight – I mean, I'd go all in if it's my last flight, <laughs> you know. So um, – Heck, let's put skis on there too. You know, let's put skis 180 and let's fly towards Denali from let's you know let's go from Homer all the way to Denali and land on the side of a glacier. Let's do that. Mark, thanks for being on Fast Five. Thanks for having me, John. It's been great. Thanks for listening to Fast Five, brought to you by Sporty's Pilot Shop. For more episodes and links to additional information, visit sporties.com slash podcast. And if you have comments or guest ideas, email podcast at sporties.com. I'm John Zimmerman. We'll see you next time on Fast Five. Fast Five.